0: This is the Basketball Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Newman. Today, we welcome Anisha Curry as the guest of the Roundtable. Coach Curry is a former player at the University of Oregon and in the WNBA. She now serves as an assistant coach at the University of Maine and is one of two female coaches on the men's side of the NCAA Division I Basketball. Coach Curry, thank you so much for your time.
1: You're
0: welcome. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you, you just off the
2: You put me right on the spot. All right, what's up? I'm ready.
0: <laughs> You're ready. Right. Let me introduce uh, everybody that's sitting at the round table uh, with you and for the listeners. Uh, we have Elle Green. She's the head coach of BCAM High School in Brooklyn. You have... Sean Cloris, the assistant coach at Sarah Lawrence College in Bronxville, New York, and you have Mark Skelton, the head coach of Fannie Lou Hamer Freedom High School in the Bronx, also the author of Pounding the Rock, Basketball Dreams and Real Life in a Bronx High School. Uh, He pays me to do that, so. (laughs) (laughs) Coach, again, thank you so much um, for giving us your time. I'm going to start you off with the first question. Um, Over the course of research for having you on, um, it became most apparent that um, obviously, you're a woman coaching in the men's side, but at the University of Maine, it doesn't matter one bit. Um, Not that it should, as you are an extremely accomplished player and coach, but I'm wondering, do you still feel a sense of pressure um as a female on the men's side
2: you know what um when you're a trailblazer you always have that it it's just weight that you feel um because your success is tied to other biases and other isms and you know um stereotypes of the world when it comes to uh women coaching men So my success carries over and it creates, um, conversations which allow decision makers and other coaches, um, to think, and that's my goal in this whole thing. So I know every podcast, every leadership, every conference, every practice, um, eyes are on me and it, and it's not just about me. So that, that never goes away. Um, that's a part of the process. And, um, if you embrace it the right way, um, it becomes a beautiful journey and I've embraced it because I want more women, um, along with me, alongside of me. Um, and I want other men and other decision makers to have the confidence, um, and the guts, cause it does take guts. Um, to be different, to, to think outside of the box, to, um, go away from the traditional norms of what sport should look like.
0: Um, let me, let me follow up. Cause I see you have an equity shirt on. Um, and, and so not only are you female in, in, on the men's side, but you're also a black female, you know, and uh, as you were just saying, being, being a trailblazer and being all eyes are on you. Um, Obviously the three men on this podcast we 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 are white. I want to know how can we be more of an ally to you in in this game um in supporting you not just as that role as you were saying as a as a female and having the guts to hire more females but being a black female also.
2: You know what for me it's about relationships. And I have great relationships with all coaches from every level. Um, And it has helped me, you know, and I tell everybody, you know, I'm here because of the relationships I have with male coaches (laughs) Um, from the NBA to the G League to high school level. um, Those relationships, you know, have created conversations around their decision making. And a lot of the times they were hitting me with, I didn't realize that you guys wanted to even coach on this side. And then I'm educating them like, wait a minute, I know my sister Elle who's coaching boys basketball. I know this coach who's coaching youth basketball. I know this woman and this young lady who was running AAU and just having those conversations and building that relationship um, has been, you know, instrumental in this process and getting, you know, more male coaches and allies to realize that there are a lot of women and young ladies coaching um, young boys and men. You just don't know about it because it's not a part of the social norm that we're used to. But there's a ton of women and young young women coaching um, boys and men. You just, it's not a part of our norm, so. Um, a part of my process, you know, with my white allies is just to have these conversations and, you know, send them resumes and let them know that there is another um, avenue of coaches that will help them be successful and help them build their visions and their dreams together. And it doesn't always just have to be all males to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. L, you're up.
1: Again, thank you, uh, Coach Curry, for coming on. Um, so you talked about relationships, and I hope this question is not too hard for you. Um, I know you recently lost your dad, and I know his legacy um, and what he's done for you and your brother. Speak of his legacy, and how are you going to use the legacy he created for you to shape your
2: legacy? Whoa. You you, <laughs> you hit me over. Wow. Um, okay. Uh, Give me one second. I felt like I was the best person, but I know you- give me one second. Um, wow, you know, for me, my dad is and will always be my world. No one will ever be able to fill that void. But the one thing that he always wanted me to do is to stay unapologetic unapologetically myself and unafraid to reach for things and go for things and just have the courage. And a part of what he gave me, the strength he gave me is to give back, to understand that I'm on this platform, not for myself. My journey is not for me. My journey is for me to represent other young women and especially other young black women who don't see me and doing that is, is is special to him because it's something he taught me. He taught me to live my life for other people. And that's the greatest thing he's given me and my brothers because that's how he lived his life. His whole purpose of his life was to sacrifice for me. And I didn't see, you know, when you're when you're when you're so protected You don't see the sacrifices that your parents make for you until he's gone. And when my dad left, I felt everything. I saw everything and I realized, wow, he did everything to make sure I was successful, to make sure that I achieved my dreams. He was the one in front of all of the isms and obstacles blocking for me. So I couldn't, they couldn't read, they could never reach me when he was here. So, you know, but he gave me something that I just want to show and give to other young girls in my legacy. And that's just the confidence and the strength to fight anyone in a way that you can achieve any dream. And I don't ever remember my dad ever telling me no. And that is so powerful. Like he never said no to me, you know? So it's so weird when I'm on these podcasts and interviews and everyone's like talking about obstacles and I don't think of them like that because when I went to my dad with a hard obstacle or something that was tough in life, he was always like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to win? And he always told me that he said, no matter what it no matter what obstacle, what goal it is, win. And that's what I want to make sure that I give the young, next young young generation of girls, the confidence, the strength to know that no matter what, you can win. And that's how I'm going to continue to break barriers. That's how I'm going to continue to make sure that his legacy lives on by making sure that I'm going to win. And no one's going to stop me from doing that. You needed to answer that You're welcome. Sean
0: Cloris assistant coach sarah lawrence you got a question for coach curry
3: i knew i was going to be next after that great question good job l um <laughs> but uh, coach thanks again for the time now one of the things i'm curious about um you know is is that you've coached at university of maine for both the men's and the women's programs now and i, I know you had a few years in between where you know you're coaching internationally but I'm very curious of what the differences have been with your experience with the women's program and the men's program. I know the women's program has been a little bit more successful in in recent years, but how have you found that dynamic to be different or the same, whether it's been in recruiting or the team dynamics? I'm just curious because I don't know too many people who have coached um, both the women's and the men's programs
2: at the same institution. Great question. And the biggest difference, you answered it. We won on the women's side. We're building on the men's side. I mean, that, that was the the biggest difference. You know, when I was on the women's side, you know, we're beating ACC teams, SEC teams, you know, like 26 win season, all conference, you know, pro players. Um, It was, it was an established program and we were winning. Um, Jumping over to the men's side, it's, just been a rebuilding process from ground up. It's been a struggle um, because it, it. I don't think the men's program necessarily had the same foundation. So we're trying to build a foundation that wasn't built before. Um, and that's challenging and that takes time. It's not something that is done in two years, three years. And luckily we have leadership that is allowing us to have the time um, to build something. But as far as the coaching goes, you know what What most people don't realize that my whole coaching journey from AU to University of Maine, I've always coached boys and girls, Mm. men and women. It's just noticed more when I came to Maine. Mm. Like when I was internationally and I was in Israel, China, Vietnam coaching, I was coaching men, practicing with the national teams. Like but it was no social media. It wasn't a big deal. It was just like, okay, we have a really good American player that played in the WNBA and she knows basketball and she wants to come to practice and help. Or one of our players wants to work out with her. Um, so when I got here, um, and I transitioned over, it wasn't like this big deal to me, you know, because I think I never saw gender ever in coaching. Yeah. I just see people you know and i always try to tell young people when you're transitioning or you're switching over or whatever especially when women are switching over to men's it's just people you got good people you got bad people you got lazy people you got hard workers you got the coaches dream people you got the like oh my god i gotta kick you in your butt people it's just people and if you go into your work every day, knowing that every day you're going to have to, you're going to be challenged to be molding these young people every day. And it never gets easier. It never gets, you know, harder. Like, it's just a fun challenge. And I had those same challenges on the women's side. And I have them on the men's side. The only thing is different is that our program, when I was at Maine on the women's side. It was more established Mm -hmm. you know as far as winning tradition we already they had already won two or three championships before it we were rolling you know but here you know i'm building the basketball part and um and the people part and the recruiting is the same it's it's hilarious because everyone always talks about the recruiting part i have never ever had a recruit even Blink an eye at the fact that like I'm a female calling him like it's literally we just talk hoop you know like you know I I introduced myself and then like the next time we're talking they're like yo I googled you and they're like going through my whole bio what I did and I'm just like all right so our second conversation this is gonna be what I'm and then they're talking about who I played with where I traveled, you know did you play in Madison square garden? Did you, did you, did you run against this coach or this player? So it really becomes about hoop. And, um, that's one thing about recruiting when you're recruiting people, it's really about them finding a connection with you to kind of build on that relationship. And then, you know, we get to the nitty gritty of talking about the school and sport and their position and how they see their self. But, um, it hasn't been a problem at all. Even when I'm talking to dads, dads are the best. I have the greatest conversations when I'm on recruiting calls talking to dads. Like it's some dads that kind of take over the conversation. Cause I think they're kind of like excited to talk hoops. Like, yo, like I'm talking hoops with a, a female and she knows like, it's like, goes back to kind of like their hoop days when they used to have like that baller girl that, you know, used to hoop in the park with them. So it's kind of fun. Like. It literally is. It's, it's just basketball. So they're getting comfortable with me. And then, you know, sometimes they're the moms will come on and we'll talk or whatever, but it's really about relationships and them feeling comfortable um, with me. But I, even on, when I went on trips, like I'm just one of the, like one of the coaches in the gym, you know, like I walk in, I see one of my friends and they're like, yo, I got a seat for you, you know? we sit at bad seats and we eat horrible food and we sit in the gym all day and you're looking at bad basketball and trying to decipher like, okay, is this going to be a jump shot? I can fix, not fix. Okay. High motor, low motor. And then, you know, then you're like seeing games that you got to like go like this because you don't want to laugh and then you get exhausted and you're like, okay, I got to go to the bathroom. But you know, it's, it's, Really, just fun, like you know, when you think about the differences, it's you know, really just more, um, just the media thinks of it more. Mm. But when you're in the gym and you're with your colleagues and you guys love basketball and you love talking basketball and being around basketball, no one is worried about male or female, like, you're honestly just all their loving hoops and loving what you're doing and, you know, picking each other's brains when you can. And, you know, that's, that's the cool part of it. And that's a cool transition. And I wish, honestly, like more coaches, you know, on the, 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 the men's side had more diverse staffs because, you know, women bring a, a, just a different eye, a different view, the conversations are different. I, I think it's just really cool. Um, and I'm hoping more, um, you know, take the leap and a jump. Cause I think it just will help the game.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mark, how are you, buddy?
4: I'm, I'm all right. I, I, I think I'm one of these baller dads, right? I just, if I can find, you know, but, um, I have a five-year-old running around right now and she's, Love yelling, it. she's yelling page buckets, page buckets um you know because the other day she had 30 again 30 yep uh, um so um i guess you know one um i'm fascinated um i'm a new englander um so you're all the way up in maine which you know i guess that just fascinates me like orono itself is just you know and different. So, yes absolutely um especially now in february uh it's a it's truly the tundra of the world and but i so i'm i'm thinking okay so that must be a tough recruiting cell um and you know i've always known university as maine as you know as just a, a place where the you know the, the women perform better than the men um but so i was like, thinking about asking you about recruiting and then i'm also you know you're, you're talking so much about culture and culture is a thing that I I, I flip and f- flop on all the time. I am like a fish out of water sometimes with it, and then sometimes um, you know I'm a, I'm a salmon. I'm swimming downstream with it, and I love it um, because you know there's this uh, you know this old punk rock band called Mission of Burma, um, and they have a song called you know um, you know that's when I reach from my revolver, and and, and it's about hearing the word culture. Sorry, it's a, it's a punk rock song, and and. and um, you know, the ex-punk rockers listening to this is probably the two. They, mean you know, you. Mean yeah. So they, so when punk rock and basketball merge, like there's, like there's absolutely nobody in the gym. So, so, but anyways, like, so I cause when I think about culture, like, cause there's a lot of like bullshit that just goes on with culture. Cause everybody's, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this. And this is what my guys do. And this is what my girls do. And, you know, and, sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um and so i'm always uh, you know is there like a special ingredient um and because sometimes i you know with my own teams uh i i think i have some established regimens and stuff and then i you know i look back at the season and i'm like what was i doing (laughs) so um so anyways if you want to talk about recruiting or you want to talk about culture or um or talk about the weather in orono I'm, i'm i'm that's that's my, uh,
1: sorry.
2: Um, you know what? I, I think culture is one of the most abused words in sports, mm-hmm. kind of like goat. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's just kind of become like really like kind of cliche, you know, it, it's something that is easily thrown out. You know, if a team is great winning, they have great culture. Team is losing or they're bad. They got to work on their culture. They got bad culture. (laughs) You know, and and what people are realizing, you know, what culture is, it's just people. That's all it's ever going to be. Good businesses, good organizations, good team. If your people are right, your culture is good. If your people are wrong, your culture is going to be bad. It's not a cliche. It's not you know, a, a slogan that you make up, you know, those words on the wall, you know, they got means after every word, it's your people, you know, your, your people build the, the foundation for what you want your program to look like, you know, um, and that could be, say, for instance, defensively, if you want to be a pressing team, then all your people need to be in great condition and be aggressive defenders and pressing, you know? And then when people come see your your team, they're like, okay, culture, that's a defensive team. They, They got defensive, you know, dogs out there, you know? Offensively, you know, if you're a motion team, then all your players have to fit that mold. And I think sometimes, you know, we forget that, culture comes with winning can't take away from that you know once you win um you'll start noticing they start people start saying they have an established culture they have established people who are successful who don't want to lose and I can say this from my high school days like I didn't lose in high school that was not an option I came in we won That was it. It was championship, championship, championship. So everybody that came behind me (laughs) knew if you're coming to this school and you're going to play on the girls' basketball team, this is what we do to win. But that was established by a mindset that my coach kind of gave us the ingredients you know, hey, you know, winning people shoot extra shots they they you know they turn in goals they work hard that you know they get good grades they sit in the front of the class he kind of gave us the ingredients and then he just went and recruited or found the right people that fit those ingredients that's when recruiting comes in with building that so called culture and then once he had his starting five oh it was easy the JV was going to fall in line the freshmen was going to fall in line cuz that that starting five, that top five varsity, we didn't want anybody to look at any of the other teams bad. So once we were established, as he had his established starting five, he had his core people, he didn't have to do anything anymore. Like literally, we were the ones like, yo, did you shoot your extra free throws? Did you turn in your goals to coach? Uh, Did you go to study? Like we were the ones holding everybody accountable for our program. And I think that's the hardest thing to build when you're so-called trying to build a culture and, you know, build this, you know, because you think it's, some people think it's defense and this and all of that, but it's like finding like your core people. And it's kind of like women's basketball programs, like South Carolina oregon connecticut like their people young people got a whole bunch of people (laughs) to look up to that they're like we're not gonna be the ones to mess the ship up so they're coming in with like okay this is how things go here and if you want to come here then these are the expectations and it was really cool and i use my high school team it was really cool to see that, because when I graduated, to look back at the young kids that were underneath me who were moving up, and then look back, and they had four championships too, and they just kept building and building, I was like, this is, this is really how this thing works, and it was a reason why my college coach recruited me first at Cal State Northridge, he was trying to build something new. He took over a losing culture program, and he needed an ingredient that can mix with some other ingredients and pull people in the right direction to win. Um, and I think that's, you know, some people call it leaders. You know, I think I think leadership on teams. I think you you'll have your one star player, and hopefully they take that role. But I think um, Teams and cultures are more powerful when they have like that collective, like that starting core group um of ingredients, and all of those players um have a little bit of what you are talking about. You know, those regimens, when you look back on the season, you kind of smile like, okay, I know the next center that comes in, she's gonna be able to teach her. Okay, my shooting guards, you know, they kind of have you kind of you're feeding them all these little ingredients so they can really pass it down. And I don't think when teams are talking about culture enough, they don't talk about the importance of feeding people and feeding their young people so they can feed others because teams that are really good, they, they have this like servant leadership kind of attitude without even knowing it. It's like they're, you know, Two Bird's going to come back and talk to the younger point guards. And then it just goes down and down um, to generation and generation. It just creates this longevity of success. So that's what culture is to me. It's the, the, the ingredients to build people. Thank you. That was great.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. Culture comes from winning. So I know Elle and Mark and, and Sean, they, uh, they have some good culture going on. <laughs> Um, I want to. I want to ask you. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to ask you because I saw that you um you're going to be giving a talk soon. Um, the uh, simple math of winning basketball at the uh, analytics uh, learning academy. So I'm um, I'm wondering what are the most important analytics uh that you look for that, that you study um during your practices and games and you know how does and what, is, what do they tell you about your team and, and how are you using them to, uh, get your team better?
2: You know what practice analytics numbers, those are results. You know, anyone can look at results and say you're a bad three point shooter. You're, you know, you're great from the corner. You know, for me, when I'm looking at analytics, I am looking at what is, what I can communicate that transfers over to a player that allows him and gives them the confidence to embrace the journey and embrace the process of getting better. It's not enough to just tell a player, okay, you're 25% from a three-point line. I mean, he can go to Synergy and get that analytic himself. He can get that number itself. I mean, they all have apps now, they, they can do all that. Um, what's important is laying out the process to why. And for me, it's my job to take that that end result and build a program around his player development to help him get better. It He may be a bad three-point shooter because of footwork, the way he catches the ball, the way he lifts the ball, the things that analytics don't, you, and you can't see that in analytics because analytics is still a result. It gives you the ending. It's either a good result or a bad result. but in order for my player to buy in to that end result whether it's good or bad i have to break down the why of that number so if it's if it's say he's 30% from a three point line and i'm trying my coach says you know what i want him to get up to 38% i got to look at how can i increase 8% on that inconsistently so i'm going to look at all of his film And I'm going to look at from feet, eye, hip, um, ball snatches, and I'm going to break it all down so he can understand why. And then we're just going to build a player development program working on those skills that he's struggling with that's causing him to have a bad analytic result at the end. So that's how I see numbers. You know, um, and it and it's a it, it is it allows me to give hope to players. You know, like you you know this number is not really the end result. It's kind of where you are now, um, and that's kind of hard with this generation because this generation sees so many. Everything is numbers, you know, for them, and they don't really know how to look beyond the numbers. They don't really know how to break the numbers down. It's I'm 0 for 10, or I'm one for three and I suck. Or he's a four star and I'm a two star. So that means he's gonna have a better career than, than I am. Like everything is built on this end result number for them. So it kind of my job when I'm looking at these numbers is to make sure that it doesn't create an anxiety, it doesn't create uh, uh, I I've, I've failed my mindset. I have to look at numbers and break them down for them so they see it as a a process to grow, that they're just mistakes. You being 30% to 38% are are really tiny mistakes. It can be, you can't shoot going left, right, or right, left, or maybe I need to change you to a hop on inside out threes. It's all these little things. And that's the key um, for me when I'm, and that's why I call it simple math, breaking down the simple math. It's, it's the math within the math that, um, is important for players because the numbers don't mean anything to me. They don't help me really. I'm not. And I always tell my players, I'm not going to shoot anymore. I'm not going to dribble. I'm not going to pass. I'm not going to do no two, three trap. I'm not doing no boxing one. I'm not doing any of that. All I'm doing for you is giving you tools to put in your toolbox and then we're gonna throw the rusty tools out and we're gonna come together and we're gonna create this package for you to be successful. Sometimes it takes a while, and that's why you have to constantly um, use film to, to record, um, to show little successes, um, as well as slippage. You know, like, look, this practice, look, you're, you were locked in, you were focused. This practice, you went back to your old habits why, what was going on? What was your focus? Um, Just to kind of create buy-in. I think, you know, film, the greatest thing about film and analytics, film allows you to create buy-in with analytics. Without it, if you're just giving them numbers and telling them that they're not good and they need to be better corner threes, they need to be better driving right, and you're not showing them how or even showing them when they have success, You'll lose them with the numbers.
0: That was awesome, and I know um, Mark has a follow up for you on this.
4: Yeah, so on the high school level, you know, we more or less, I think, we can, can't focus too much on all the numbers that they've uh, given us these days. Um, and you know, years ago uh, with Dean Oliver's basketball on paper, you know, we, it set the stage for us, right? So you know, we 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 drank the four factors, we love them, we live by them. Um, and now, you know, I, I see that there, you know, to be on the cutting edge, there has to be something new. Um, and so from your perspective, um, and it could be from, you know, I'd love to know also from the international world too, is what, what do you think is the newest, latest, like, m- matrix? Like, what's the new, new number that people are focusing on beyond the four factors and, and you know, defensive field goal, you know, efficiency?
2: You know what? Every day somebody's trying to okay. recreate basketball and make it bigger than what it is. I mean, it, it depends on what you need to be successful. And I think that's what a lot of people um, forget when it comes to analytics and numbers. You may use Dean Oliver, but my head coach doesn't. It doesn't work for him. Analytics is not a cookie cutter. It doesn't, you know, work for everybody you know, you have to find what numbers um, are successful for your offensive philosophy or your defensive philosophy. It may be just looking at defensive transition, um, effective field goal percentage, turnover field goal um, percentage. All these little things matter. And for us, I know, and I could just use University of Maine, um, we realize that we have to be a better three point shooting team because 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 when we don't shoot the three pointers in our game. We are giving up a lot of what transition point, you know, so if you if you're telling your team that we need to shoot more threes, then you better make sure you have a hell of a defensive transition philosophy, because when you miss they're running down your throat and you're giving up layups and layups. So you have to think about the communication of the analytics because it's not enough to say, Hey, we're going to be a great three-point shooter. We're going to be like the San Antonio Spurs and we're going to shoot a bunch of corner threes. If you shoot a bunch of corner threes and you miss and you don't get back in transition, it's the longest route to get back. You miss a corner three, instant layup. I mean, watch one team to watch is last year's Houston Rockets. All the threes, they shoot. Great. But the games that they miss the threes, go look at their transition point. It's like night and day difference. So I think it's so many numbers. Like, Mark, it's, it's the numbers now are just like, oh, my God. You know, because every, like, every team in the NBA has different numbers. Yeah, that's
4: what you're right. Like, what, what you know, as a team, you do have to end up like deciding, um, you know, because you'll just get lost in the sauce, right? And and what happens is, oh, if I'm focusing on you know just in my turnover percentage, it's like what, what, is something wrong with my ball movement, uh, you know, where's the, you know, how are we igniting the offense? Um, and then you just spiral. But then the next thing you know, you spend three weeks thinking about that, and then that's not the answer. And I think that's what you know so so I'm not you know I mean maybe you are on the hot seat, you're in the round table, and but we are asking you like you know how how do you I mean you probably have- you know conversations with the other coaches like yeah what what are those magic numbers you know and i and you're right for some teams you realize like man, if we don't turn the ball over more than fifteen times, we win all our games, or if it's you know three pointers um but yeah I think you're absolutely right with. You know, for each team, it matters. And, and, and I think that's just the, the, the nature of the game and the makeup of each team so different.
2: Yeah, you know, um, and you'll see like, uh, let's see, defensive field goal percentage. I'll use, you know, University of Maine women's team when I was there. We were two years in a row, one and one two. You know, we were like right behind in UConn in defensive field goal percentage. But it's because we didn't miss shots. We also only took maybe 65 shots, but we didn't miss. So if you're not missing shots and you're, you having an, an efficient offense, you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about transition. You don't, all these things change. They change numbers and, and you can manipulate numbers um, based on offensive efficiency. It changes, you know, when you're an offensive efficient team, for example, Virginia men, one of the best defensive teams, because you're always having to take the ball out of the net. They're gonna shoot. They're gonna twenty seconds on the shot clock, at least every possession. And even when they shoot, they've taken thirty seconds, and they're back on transition. So teams are not used to that. So you're practicing transition, transition, and then now you're not getting easy buckets against them. Because their offense is so efficient, so that changes the numbers. When you look at your games, look at all your winning games, and then you have to break down your numbers and find your your percentages and your analytics. Like, what were you? What was the difference between a winning game and a losing game? And then you're like, okay, why? What 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 was the style of play? What was the team? And then you'll start noticing like. And and I would say don't go do three seasons because you need at least three seasons of data. Go through three seasons of data and like write down like all of your games, win, loss, and maybe your focus is on your team. Like you said, we don't turn the ball over. So turnover percentage might be really key for you. Free throws, how many fouls per game, how many free throws, um, transition defense, how many transition points did you give up? And you can pick and then you can start seeing, okay, when we win, our transition percentage is this, our turnover percentage is this, and you kind of create your numbers. So now when you're practicing, you're creating um, your practice plan, you're preparing your teams every day to be able to play at this temple or play defensively to fit those numbers and then you're thinking, how's the other coach going to change those numbers?
0: That was great. Thank um,
2: you.
0: I, I guess it really is the, the old adage of uh, a good offense is the best defense. It is. Sean, I know you got another question.
3: Uh, I took a lot of notes on that last one. That was good. But uh, I, I wanted to shift focus a little bit and just hear about some of your experience overseas as a coach and a player. Um, one of my early coaching experiences, I had a chance to to live and coach in Jamaica for two years, and um, it was one of the best experiences I had and changed my perspective totally about myself as a coach and just what I learned about basketball. So, you know, from your time in Vietnam and China and, you know, all over the Middle East, like, I'm just curious of what you've learned about yourself as a coach that helped you grow and, what are even a couple of trends that maybe we don't see as much on the American side of things um, that you've picked up along the way that you've liked?
2: You know, one of the trends that I've picked up is the development side. You know, when you're over there, it is no AU, there's no circuit, you know, there's just youth, um, national team, grassroots, but it's all development you know, um, a lot of time practicing in the gyms all day. Um, and I had to start from the ground up, you know, which I think, um, more coaches here in the U S should do like coaching five-year-olds and being creative with five-year-olds. Oh, it's a different beast. You know, even in a 30-minute and their sessions were like 30-minute practice, but I had to figure out okay, their attention span is not like, okay, you gotta be quick, you gotta be talking, you know, you gotta have the but but it helped me that experience with that group, the five to seven year old, taught me about preparation. Coming into practice, the cones were set up, the drills were set up, everything was set because I knew if i had one little mistake little johnny was going to be running on the other end to get a slurpee cup for from his mom and she was going to be bringing him back in the drill so it that that development and that um conversation and being creative with drills you know um teaching them the basic passing jumping and then moving from that age group to like the nine to eleven age group, you know, where you still got some kids that, you know, are more coordinated, some kids still double dribble, some kids still forget, you know, um, was super fun, and then getting up with the high school level, and now realizing that um, the importance of progression, that's really what oversees, in the development of progression really taught me, and, and why I love um, player development so much, building a player up, being able to see flaws in a player that they can't see um, and showing them the progressions that they need to take um, to turn you know that weakness into a strength. That's something that I was able to see watching national team coaches, um, watching other pro coaches um, coach. And it did, they do it all the time, like at every level. It was so cool like to go into a men's national team practice, and they're literally still doing fundamental drills, like working on the basics of basketball and in, 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 um, working them every single day. But it's, but it's also different in the practice time. We, I don't think we get enough practice. We just don't get enough practice time. We just don't have enough time, school all day. The way the, way the system is, is meant is for games, you know, entertainment now. Um, and when I was in China, I had like six hours a day, literally. Like that's all we did was practice. Two hours in the morning, and China's different. Two hours in the morning, and then two hours at night. And my, the group of girls that I got a chance to recruit and find all over China, they lived at a basketball school. It was like an Olympic plex basketball school. So, you know, I would pick them up in the morning, have breakfast with them. They would, you know, we would go lift weights together. We would swim together, you know, morning we would shoot, we would eat lunch. I would you know stay and go to sleep at the complex with them. We had our own hall dorm room and we would hang out. Um and then evening practice was team stuff. It was all team concept. Um and then we have dinner and we'll start all over again. And and I I missed that. That was fun for me. I really enjoyed it and it was just about the development. I never we had games, but it wasn't a lot. Like it was really about getting them prepared um, to play on the national team or play at the pro level but you know we had training camps and we had a lot of practice time before we went to our tournaments but it wasn't like you know Monday through Friday practice then we're going on a weekend trip day off couple of days of practice, weekend trip, it, it wasn't like that. It was really built around the development of the athlete as a whole and, and really giving them time to develop without the pressures of what I feel a lot of the young athletes have here because of results, you know, the stars, you know, the letters and, you know, all of that, um, kind of takes away, um, from the development of athlete, and I miss that a lot. I, I really, I really enjoy being able to sit in gyms and look at the development of an athlete, and and be around all these coaches developing athletes. And it kind of helped me in my process to re, to really appreciate and be open minded, um, because all these places also I um, had translators, especially in China, which was crazy, you know, I had a translator speaking to me, you know, Um, I'm speaking to him, and he's speaking to the team, which was, was interesting, you know, and, and them trying to learn English, and them teaching me Mandarin, which was, it was too hard, I learned a couple words, but that's a hard language, Um, but it was the, 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 the relationship piece, but all they did was basketball, like, they didn't have school, they were, like, kind of, pro, but not pro. So they, they didn't have the same pressures, but, um, it allowed me to be very open-minded, um, in understanding, you know, different cultures, how they do things, um, and kind of merging, you know, what I learned as a player here, um, with what they do overseas.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I gotta, I gotta say, I did, uh, I did a clinic one time for a uh, Russian coaches and uh, speaking through a translator really slows you down you know makes you think about what you're going to say how you're going to say it in like the shortest way possible and you know to some respects got it kind of it, kinda it helps does
2: you. you come prepared you know? like I I came prepared with what I was going to say every day because it is true like there is a translator and it helped me um a lot because think of a timeout in games, I don't have a lot of time. So I'm trying to explain. He's over my head while I'm mm. writing. I'm writing on the board talking and he's translating and pointing over me at the same time. You know, so it's um, it's a very powerful relationship, you know, but it, it all of this kind of helped me enjoy working with people and understanding that everybody that I work with um, has something to give, um, that makes me better, you know, and, it, and it's a true, uh, you know, like a friendship, you know, and I think that's a big thing that, you know, being abroad really helped me, you know, understand the power of relationships and working with people.
0: Yeah. And, and L a basketball academy, that that's right up your alley, right? That
2: question.
1: Thank you. Man, she knows what I want to do with that basketball academy. We talk about that, and, um, man, I'm just sitting here, like, jealous. I don't get jealous over people, but that right there, heaven. But she did tell me to go overseas and do stuff, so.
2: It's fun. I think everyone should go overseas and do a camp, you know, something. It's just fun. It's just a a different way, and, you know, you start seeing how to do things different and drills, and I'm like, man, I didn't even think to communicate like that, you know, like, wow, you know, how they set up things. And I just, it just brings a different perspective. Um, and I love sitting and watching coaches. I do like, I. that's the one thing that I'm missing from COVID is I like to just sit and watch coaches, you know, like I can go on a YMCA and it can be like a youth coach doing a drill and I'm like, holy crap. And I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, I can add this to this drill oh, all right, okay, and then, like, I'm thinking of my player development, like, how I can add pieces, and I think that's, that's, that's the cool thing about coaching, and a lot of people, you know, you can steal, and take, and learn from, you know, so many people, and and I like watching younger coaches, actually, and youth coaches, um, especially, because a lot of youth coaches, are teachers. Teachers know how to do lesson plans and and, and, and PE, physical education. You know, um, I was a teacher, so I have an appreciation for teachers, period. But it's just a different way that teachers organize things. And I can walk, I can go in a gym and tell, can, can tell right away, okay, he teaches. It's just a different feel um, in a gym. And it's, it's really cool to see you know, the organization and the progression of watching someone teach.
1: Yeah, um, that's so true about watching. Um, I've been watching a lot of film of my favorite, uh, I have two favorite coaches to go against Irvin Mark. So I've just been watching been film for a lot since we've been battling. Man, we're going to talk off the it air hurt. about that. You're hilarious. No, let's do it now. Um, then I, I, I feel hurt. I, I, watched, us, I watched us play um, the game where the clock went out. It was a good game. And then the clock went out and you started to kill us at my building. And then we came back and you're like doing a praying dance on the floor, banging your hands. It was hilarious. I got to show it to you. I-, I wanted to show you last night. Then I said, well, he's going to know I'm what? watching him. But I'm like, I don't give a damn. You, you know, we watch each other. I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to send it to you. No, you didn't. Not that game. Oh, I love it. No way. <laughs> Like I tell, like I say all the time, what matters is, is one up in the championship ring. Even though you got three, it's one up against each other. I love it. I love
4: yes, it. it is.
1: Oh. He's he's an Aries, like, he's an Aries, so it. we go at it. Um. So have, I know we have one time for one more. I, I just, maybe I'll get to the Bernadette Maddox question, because I really want to know how that was. But um, I know you're an avid reader. What book are you reading now that's going to, like I'm killing you I'm sorry what book are you reading now that's like honing your skills as a coach to get you where you want to be and also shaping your life that's part one part two
2: what would be the name of the next chapter in your life if it was a book wow oh hmm the book I'm reading now um is I Came as a Shadow by John Thompson so I'm reading that book studying that book. I've been doing a huddle group every week with that. Um that that's really making me proud of the way I use my voice. It's powerful and I don't know what to say. Um you know what? Yeah, you're asking some good questions. You know what the next chapter um in my book would be full time. That'll be my next chapter. Can you elaborate on that? Full time means I've reached my goal to be a full-time head men's basketball division one coach. That'd be the next chapter in my life. And that, that's, that, that's the, the end goal for me. Um, but that would, that's what it would be.
0: Coach, thank you for taking the time and sitting down at the round table with us.
2: You're welcome. Anytime. It was fun.
0: This was awesome.
2: Yeah, L, you hit me with some deep questions today. He was trying to get me all emotional and teary-eyed. I was like, "Ooh, I need a second. Like,
0: honestly, thank you, thank you so much for um, sitting down, telling us your story, um, giving us, you know, some great information that not just us here at the roundtable uh, can use, but everybody else. Appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Basketball Coaches Roundtable. Please follow us on Twitter
1: at BCRPodcast11.